Good morning. Good morning, Grove Central. Good to see you guys. How are you doing today? You guys good? Good? Hey, a lot of energy. Great to worship you guys this morning. Welcome all those tuning in online. Thanks for being with us, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for being there. And or watching online sometime this week. Thanks for watching in, tuning in. It is good to have you guys today. Good to see some new faces. Welcome. If you're brand new to the Grove, welcome. Uh, my name is Eric Matoya, Pastor of the Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. Uh, just online, we have some different people throughout the, the week that watch, and we have people around the nation and in some cases around the world that tune in. And so I just want to take a quick shout out to the family in Ohio, the Barbiero family. Thanks for watching with us. I'm praying for you. We're celebrating. Joe is cheering for you, so it's great. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's cool to hear some of the different people that tune in, and so I uh, just want to give a shout out to that family. Great to have them tune in with us this last I don't know how many months they've been watching, but thanks for being with us. Uh, we're in this series that's called Level Up. It's a mental health series. I just read an article this week on mental health. And so they did, they did a, a survey throughout the U.S. in 2019, December of 2019, and they found that 11% of our nation would, would identify or say they struggle with some kind of anxiety, some kind of mental challenges, some depression even, um, that they would fall in that category of just, just needing some help, right, some support, support mentally. Well, through 2020, they did that survey again in December of 2020, and they found that it went from 11% all the way to 42% of people in the United States say, I've, I'm struggling with some anxiety, some uh, depression, some different areas like that. And so I knew as, as we were going into this, this uh, season that one of the challenges that we have coming out of COVID is a lot of people um, can be struggling with this, with this part of our life, which is so important, is with mental health. And so we want to do a series that would um, help us address some of those things. And uh, hopefully throughout the whole series, I've pointed you some resources that you can get help. Uh, the one thing that you have to understand is that that's almost half of our nation is, is, is saying they're somehow they're struggling with anxiety, with depression, different things like that. That's not a bad thing. Mental health shouldn't be a bad word because at times all of us go through difficulties. And Dr. Karen Leaf, the neuroscientist, she actually says that all those things that we're seeing on the rise of that is really just mind management. We haven't been taught how to manage our minds correctly. And so for seven weeks, I've been trying to say, here's some tools to help us manage our mind, um, things that I've learned, things that they've, they've learned through neuroscience. And what I love about it is neuroscience is only telling us what the Bible has always told us all along, is make sure you pay attention to what you're thinking about because it will impact your life. And so in every area of your life, financially, relationally, education, right, through vocation, all the different areas of our life, we're either um, going to go to the next level and get better, or we're going to stay or go backwards. And the way you win or go to the next level is by, by winning in the mind first. Everything always starts in the mind first. So where you are in life currently, financially, relationally, it's where your thoughts have taken you. In fact, we've said this over and over, is your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if your thoughts are strong towards a specific thing, how you, how you feel about something, how you view something, your life is going to move in that direction. Another way you can say that is your, your, where your mind goes, your life always follows. So wherever your mind is going, your life is going to follow. So when people say, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm so in depression, their mindset have been anxious, have been going to a negative direction. So what's going to happen? The life is going to follow that direction. So we're saying it doesn't have to be that way. There's a better, there's a better way. We can live in a better way. And so let's learn to, to manage our minds correctly. In fact, we said mind management which is really the key, right, to, to being successful in life, mind management, which is our thinking, our feeling, and our choosing. So our mind is not our brain. Our mind is the non-physical, uh, spiritual part of us that God made, right? That's, that's we're, we're, the, we're the part of the soul, the heart and the mind. That's the, the non-physical part of us. Now, the mind works with the brain, and it impacts our brain because the brain is the, the, the physical part of us that all these, all these processes and chemicals are going on inside but the mind is really where, we're, where we think about things. It's, it's our thinking, our feeling, and our choosing. That's, 
That's what we're saying when it comes to my management. Let's make sure we manage what we're thinking, manage what we're feeling, and manage the choices that we make so they're healthy, right? And you do this, so essentially we're saying um, if you manage your mind, you'll stop negative thoughts and you'll beat anxiety, you can beat worry by taking control of your mind uh, and you'll be able to focus on things that bring you joy, not just on what's negative. And, um, and so we're, we're challenging you to, to the, through this series to say make sure you capture the thoughts, right? So the first step is always capturing, um, making sure you're aware of what your thought is and, and calling it out what it is so you can be aware of that. And then you make the choice, right? I'm going to capture this, and I'm going to analyze it. Do I accept this, or do I reject this? And we said in our lives, whatever you feed is going to grow, whatever you starve is going to die. So if you have a negative thought, and you're feeding it, it's going to keep growing. If you have an anxious thought, and you keep feeding it, it's going to keep on growing. If you have positive thoughts, they're going to keep on growing for the, for the good. And we said the challenge for us mentally is a lot of times the, the choices that we – the things that we tend to focus on, they really come from what we're feeling. Um, the decisions we make come from our feelings. In fact, research says that it's our feelings that decide for us 95% of the time. Not the things we know, but the things that we feel. I don't feel like getting up, so I'm going to sleep in. I don't feel like working out, so I'm not going to work out. It's always the feelings, if we're not careful, that dictate most of our decisions for us. Sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of times that could be a very negative thing because we're not always going to feel like we should do the right thing. We're going to feel like we do the easy thing, feel to do the comfortable thing, feel what's ever in front of us. And if we're not careful... Those things will lead us away from the better, the better choice that we could make. And so we said in this series, make sure you let your choices lead and let the feelings follow. Don't let your feelings lead. Let your choices lead, and then your feelings will catch up. And uh, I think it was week four. I talked about the, the five-second rule, uh, and that was one of the – if you missed that week, go back and, and listen to the, to the five-second rule. I think it was worth it. This is a great, great message. Um, but we said make sure we pay attention to these, right? And then last week, um, we talked about the big-picture thinking. And notice I didn't say whole picture. Because sometimes in life, we will not have the whole picture. We won't see exactly everything that's going on. But big picture thinking is us zooming outside of whatever we're feeling in the moment. And only mature people can do this, right? Infants and babies can't. They have small picture thinking because all they know is uh, they know hunger and they know dirty diapers and they know uh, pain or tiredness, right? And all they can focus on is what's in the immediate in front of them. A mature person can say, okay, I'm not, I'm tired, but I know there's something bigger that's going on that I can make other choices, not just whatever in the moment. And so big picture thinking is zooming out so you can see a larger story, not just a small one. And immature people only look at the immediate. Mature people look at the, uh, the ultimate, right, what, what's bigger. And I said make sure in these moments where you ha- maybe you're stuck at, with a painful moment, something that's hard, don't just stay focused. Even if you have to close your eyes, they say if you close your eyes, you can actually begin to zoom out of that. That's a part of taking control of your mind, right, is you're, you're, you're zooming out. And uh, I said last week through big picture thinking, gratitude is probably – plays the, the biggest role in, in mental health. It's one of the biggest things you can have because when you're faced with something difficult, if you have gratitude at the same time, like you can only choose one. I'm going to really be upset about this or I'm going to focus on the things that I'm grateful for and thankful for. And I believe this is why the Bible over and over says, make sure you're thankful. Make sure you, it's God's will for your life to be thankful and to be grateful. So find what you can be thankful about so that in the middle of something difficult, that's not going to override everything that you're feeling in the moment. So you begin to focus on that. So gratitude is a big part of that. And uh, in fact, I was reading an article uh, about a, a study they did with gratitude. And they said there was uh, these subjects, they had them participate in what they called a gratitude writing letter experiment, uh, experiment or exercise. And what they do is they had these participants write a letter to people that they were grateful for in their life, telling them why they're grateful, the impact they had in their life, and they wrote these letters. Well, the neuroscientists, they scanned their brains before they wrote the letters. They scanned their brains after they wrote the letters. They had the participants come back for, for a few weeks and, and months after. And they found that just that one exercise of writing these letters of gratitude, it lasted. It changed their, the, the, physiolog- the, the brain processes for up to three months. 
And then they begin to see the other brains revert and go back to other things. So one moment of gratitude can impact three months of, of, of your mental health, which is fantastic. And so gratitude is really big that you, you focus on something. Even every single day, find something you can thank God for, something you can be grateful for and tell somebody you're grateful about. That will help you to get a, a manage of some of the mind management. All right. So make sure you become a mature person who can say, let me not just focus on the media. Let me focus on the ultimate, on the bigger picture, and not get stuck to that. All right? So let's jump into week seven, and here's the verse that we've been using uh, to hold this whole series together. Romans 12, Paul tells us this, that don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. So don't just go through the, don't, go, don't just listen to what media tells you and just go with it, right? In the middle, middle of those, ask God, what do you want me to think about all this? What do you want me to do with this, right? So don't just go in without even thinking, but instead fix your attention on, what, on God, and then you'll be changed from the inside out, inside out. And he goes on and says, readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture. So, so God wants you to quickly respond. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging down to its level of immaturity, God always brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So the whole big part of this whole series is God wants to help us mature, to level up, to grow up, to go to the next level. But it takes us to be able to manage our minds to do this. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't just, don't just fit in with culture. Don't just go with the flow. But learn to transform your mind by renewing it, by, by learning what God has to say about it, and then letting your actions follow, follow that. All right? So in our lives, any area of your life, financially, in marriage, parenting, in school, <clears throat> your actions that you, that you on a daily basis do, they actually reveal what level you're on. So when somebody says something really dumb, we typically say that's a really immature person. It reveals, their words and their actions reveal what level they are. And they're an immature level. They're on a lower level, right? So our actions always reveal to us where we're at. So financially, if you keep getting in debt and you keep over and over doing the same things that are unhealthy, it reveals that you haven't leveled up and gotten the next level when it comes to finances. And like I talked about last week with sincerity to myself, right? When we first married, there was some immaturity there. So we'd fight over things that really didn't matter. It was small picture thinking. Now, hopefully, a lot of times we've learned that we got to zoom out and say, it's really, this is, it's bugging us, but it's not that big of a deal compared to really what we're trying to accomplish. And so uh, we're tr- in the beginning, our actions revealed that we were on a lower level of marriage. Now we know how to process things a little better. It shows that we've matured and grown up a little bit in our relationship. And so we're always doing that. And here's the thing about actions, right? Um, they reveal where we're at, and, and actions um, are, are really important because it's not the knowing, it's the doing that makes a difference in our life. So knowing doesn't always equal better. I know really lo- a lot of really smart people who make really, really dumb, dumb, dumb decisions. They're smart, but they can still make dumb decisions. Because just knowing doesn't mean that you're actually going to do it. So today we're going to talk about that. What does it look like to actually do what we're supposed to do with this? If you're going to have uh, level up mentally, you're going to have a healthy m- mindset, you have to learn not just to know, but to actually do something with the things that you know. Right? So my wife, she told me growing up, her mom always had this saying. She always would say, saying and doing are two different things. Saying and doing are two different things. You can say something and not do it. I would also add this, that knowing and doing are two different things. A lot of people know what to do. They just don't feel like doing it, so they don't do it, right? And, and some, a lot of times there are healthy things that we should do. Like we should exercise. We know we should exercise. It's good for our heart. It's good for longevity of life. But we just don't feel like it. So knowing you should exercise but not doing it, those are two different things. It's really, I guess we can call this is the gap, right? This is the gap most people struggle in life with not leveling up is, is the, the information, the what, and then the application of how to use it. So I got the what, but how do I actually use this? What am I supposed to do with this? And so in our lives, we can't just know. We have to actually put, 
apply these things and use them. And a lot of times the, the difference is that people that are successful, they, they don't just know. They also learn what to do with it, and they actually practice it and do this. So I have a, a mentor. Well, let me, let me say this. So there's a, the next slide. It says this. If there's a blank, would you fill in this blank for me in your own mind? All right? We are all one, deci- we are all one decision away from blank. In your mind, what would you put in that blank? We are all one decision away from blank. Because you're all one decision. You're just one decision away from something. What is that one thing? So I have a, a mentor that um, I, when I came back to Santa Fe, when we were going to plant the church, uh, I began to, to sit under a, a gentleman who was, who was kind of teaching me and, and guiding me. And he was twice my age, so he'd been a pastor for, 40, I think, 43 years at that time. And um, he, he was, I was learning from him. I was asking questions about starting churches, and I was asking about how, you know, pastoring, things like that. He's always sharing these stories. And I would be in some of these conversations with him in some meetings where he'd meet with people who should have been mature, but they acted like kids, right? And it would frustrate me because I'm like, man, these, they're just – they, they don't act the way they should. And, um, and I, would, I would notice how he'd respond to them. And he had this ability. I don't know if you've ever had something in your life like this. He could tell you you're stupid, but you left the meeting knowing he loved you, right? That's, that was his heart. And so he could tell you that you're, just, you're messing up or you're not doing something, but you always left knowing, man, this guy really values me. He really loves me. He called me out, but he still he sees potential in me. And that was, that was Carl's heart, and, and he was teaching me these things. And so one of his specialties that, that they, they realized he was really good at is he would, they would send him to these different churches that had, like, the church blew up, right? Maybe had a split, the pastor, up with the secretary, you know, somebody in the church embezzled money, some just horrible things that take place, right? Because people are people. They're human, right? And um, he would go in after and try to clean up the messes because we believe that the, the church is bigger than one person. So whenever one person messes, it doesn't, it doesn't say that's the whole church. It's just it's an individual made that decision. And so he'd go into these different situations, and so I'm, I'm working with him. He's telling me these stories about different churches he went into to clean up, and he'd tell me what took place, why, why it unfolded the way it did, what happened, how he helped to walk them through into health, right, and to get the church back to a place where they can continue to, to be the church in that community. And he'd tell me these stories, right, of, of really smart people doing really dumb things, uh, making poor decisions, throwing away everything, right? And, and in, these, in these conversations over a couple of years, I said, there's something different here. Um, I have other friends who work with people right, in counseling or in pastoring, and I notice that they get really cynical towards people because people are always doing dumb things. And after a while, you can be like hard, right? Like don't they just know better, and you, they come across like just they just don't like people. And um, I said, there's something different about you, Carl. Why, what is it that's different? Why are you not cynical or jaded towards people? And he said, Eric, I, when I went into these churches to go help them, he said, I realized pretty quickly that when I was sitting across the table from somebody that made a really poor choice and a really dumb decision, he said, I realized that when I'm sitting there, what it would take for me to be on the reverse side of this table, the other side of this table, would just be one decision. He said, only one decision would cause me not to be the one helping, but the one that's needing the help or the one that's being punished or going to prison or whatever it was. He said, I realized that just one decision could make me on the other side of this table. And he said this phrase, we are all one decision away from stupid. Eric, you're one decision away from stupid. Don't ever forget that. That phrase has always stuck with me because we're all just one decision away from stupid, you and me. One decision to throw it all away. One decision to let go of things. One decision to all the hard work you've been working towards for it to just crumble. One decision. You'd be like, no, that's, that can't be one decision. Well, here's the thing I also learned is that not only are we one decision away from stupid, but we're all just one decision away from better. You're one choice, one thought, one decision for making a choice that would help you become better in your finances. One decision helping you become better mentally in relationships, in your marriage, in parenting. You're just one decision away from a better choice and a better outcome in your life. 
the choice is ours, right? So one, we're all one day, one moment, one decision away from a better life. The choice is ours. Do you, cho- do you choose disaster or do you, ch- do you choose health? The choice is always ours. So in this, application is the most important thing, not just the knowledge, not just information. And here's the thing that um, when Jesus, if you read Jesus' teaching, it's one of the things that drove him cr- the most crazy was religious people because they knew better and they knew it all and they were these smart people, but they just weren't doing what they're supposed to. Have you ever heard somebody say, um, do as I say, not as I do? That was religious people. And that made Jesus crazy because he was saying, you're missing the point. It's not about knowing, it's about doing. It's not about the things that come into your mind. It's about the action that follows that up. So do something with what you've learned. Practice it. Put it into practice. So Jesus, one of the days he was teaching, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a quote that politicians love to use, but they always misquote it because they don't understand the context. So John 8, 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What they mean when they quote these politicians, they don't, they don't give Jesus credit either. That's like, kind of always bugs me, right? Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what they mean is you'll know my truth. And if you just get along with my program, then I'll be free to do whatever I want to do, right? So just get on, the, get on the bus. That's what they mean. They don't really mean the truth. They mean their truth, what they're thinking about. And honestly, all of us, if we're not careful, our truth can become the most important thing, and it's not actually the truth or the most important thought that we should have. So be really careful of that. So here's the context that Jesus says this statement in. It is true. You'll know the truth, and it'll set you free. But he says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if, and that's a big if right there, if you hold to my teachings, which means if you put them into practice, if you're doing something with them, you are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you hear what God is saying and you apply it and you do something with it, his truth is going to help you live it as a free person, not as a slave. So if you're here today and you think, what do you mean a slave? Like, I'm not a slave. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Yes, you are, you are free. And that's exactly what the religious people told him. The next statement, they say this. And they answered, the religious people, they answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants, right? We're Americans. Well, that's not what they said. That's what we would say. And we've never been slaves to anyone, which that's not true, because if you know the Jewish history, they were slaves for a long time to this group of people called the Egyptians, right? And, and, and God saved them from slavery and, and rescued them. So that they were slaves. They, they understand this. And, but they're making this point, right? He says, how can you say that we shall be set free? So, like, we're free to do whatever we want to do. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, you're, you're, we're the know-it-alls, and you're just this dumb guy who's pretending to be God, right? That's kind of what they're saying. And Jesus replied and says, very truly, I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus, it's always a setup. Jesus is always brilliant. He's always getting them to like take this thing to help them unfold it, right? He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And they wanted to kill him well, for this statement, but then another statement he makes uh, after this. <laughs> he actually calls himself God. He calls him, he says, before Abraham was, I am and it says they took up stones to kill him. So if everybody says he never said he was God, yes, he said it multiple times, especially in, this, in John 8, he says it. And they're mad and they're frustrated because he, he's saying, um, somebody here is greater than all of the things you know. And I'm trying to teach you through application, through practical steps of how to live the life God wants you to. And he says, if, if the Son, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. So the same way that the, the Israelites were slave, enslaved to the Egyptians, People are slaves to sin when we make a choice to to sin against God and sin against what he created us to do. We become enslaved to it, the Bible says. So they were trapped as slaves and God freed them. 
we as, as humans, as Bible says, all of us sin, all of us have messed up, all of us fall short of God's glory. So we, we, we mess up. So we become a slave to that sin. And when you continue to go back to it, it's a habit of it, you're, you're actually a slave. If there's an addiction, there's some kind of thing you can't break in your life, you become a slave to that desire, those urges, those things. And, and Jesus is saying, if you'll follow me, I'll break you away from that. This is the purpose, purpose of the cross. He frees us from the power of sin. He gives us a new start. But, but here's the thing. When God rescued the people of Israel from, from Egypt, he let them cross the, the Red Sea, right? So one side they're slaves, they pro- cross the Red Sea. The other side, they're free people. But here's the problem. Even though they were free externally, they were still not free in mentally or internally. They kept thinking like slaves. In fact, they used to say things like, we should go back to Egypt because it's a lot easier there than it is trying to be responsible adults out in, in the wilderness. Like, let's just let, go back and let people tell us what to do. Let's go back to the addictions. Let's go back to the things that we know because I really don't want to grow up. I don't want to mature. And the process of scripture and the, and the, the commandments God's giving them is not because God is the demanding God. He's trying to keep them away from slavery, not just a physical, which it would be also, but a, but a mental and an emotional and an internal slavery to sin. Because that's what all the other nations were doing. They were worshiping these false gods that would entangle them in all these different rituals that broke apart the family and made people make really dumb decisions that would kill each other over things. He's saying, let's stay away from that kind of religious belief because that doesn't help. Let's be free from those things. So the, the guidance he was giving them was steps to stay away from slavery. So the New Testament is a picture of what happened in the Old Testament, but God is doing it for us now today. So the cross was his way of saying, I want to free you from the, 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 the sins that, that hold you back and, cap, and hold you captive and, and enslave you. But just like the Israelites had to become free mentally and emotionally, God now takes us on the process of Jesus' followers to say, okay, you've said yes to me. Now let me free you from thinking like a slave thinking like the old person. Let me lead you into this new way of thinking. And if you don't let God do this in, internally, you'll actually be in a different place, but you'll actually keep doing the same things you were doing. And that was the problem the Israelites had, is they kept wanting to do the same things they were doing in Egypt, although they were no longer slaves in Egypt. So they became slaves in eventually the promised land. Miles Monroe, Dr. Miles Monroe, he says this. He says, without mental transformation, the actions we take to change may only produce a new place where we continue to do our old things. So it's possible to put yourself inside a new situation, but continue to do the old things in a new place. God is saying, I don't want that. I want to be a new person in the new places I lead you to. Learn to be free from all of those different things. So Paul got this. The Apostle Paul, he got this. And in the letters to the Philippians, he's writing from jail, which we talked about this whole series. And Paul is a great example of mental health, how to handle adversity and and difficult situations, right? Going through something like COVID, some great scriptures to to learn from to help us to have mental health, right? And he says this in Philippians 3, he says, all of us who are mature should have this attitude. He's making an assumption, right? So um, he's he's writing all this stuff before this verse. He's going to write some stuff after. And he's saying all of us are mature. We should have this attitude that I just talked about, right? Like Christ. We should be able to see things differently. We should have the big perspective. Um, and, and he says, we're mature. We that are mature. So he's making an assumption that at some point people that he's writing to are growing up. They're leveling up. They're allowing God to work in their lives that they're becoming mature. And he said, we should have this attitude. And if any, and if any respect, you have a different attitude, a different position, different perspective, that too God will make clear to you. So Paul is so confident in what God has spoken to him that even when people disagree, he says, okay, that's okay. At, in time, when you begin to grow up, you'll realize that's not that important. It's a small picture thinking. God wants you to see something bigger. 
So he says, he'll make it clear to you. But have this attitude as Christ. Only let us stay true to what we've already attained. Another translation says, let us stay on the level that we've gotten to. Let's not go backwards. And in fact, other, other ones, he says, let's keep going to the next level. Brothers and sisters, together, follow my example and observe those who live by the pattern we gave you. You know what mature people say? Follow my example. Do as I do. Watch how I do things and then come along and do it. Immature person says, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Don't, don't really follow my example all the time because I don't always get it correctly. Those who grow up, he's saying, follow my example. Have the same attitude as Christ. So um, Dr. Karen Leaf, she says this about attitudes. Thoughts collectively form your attitude. So all your thoughts collectively, that's what your attitude is. And attitude is a posture. It's a position, right, that we, we go into the day with. We go into different situations with, how we, how we view things. And it's your attitude, not your DNA, not, not your genetics, not your past, that determines much of the quality of your life. So if you want a better quality of life financially, relationally, she's saying it's got to start with your thoughts because the thoughts collectively impact your attitude. And it's your attitude, not your DNA or your past or other things that actually impact your quality of life. She says this about attitudes. Attitudes reflect the state of mind that we are in and it can, they cannot be hidden. Your attitude is never satisfied until it's revealed and it shows itself. And when you show yourself, your actions always reveal what level you're on, right? So she's saying make sure you pay attention to your thoughts because they impact your attitude. And your attitude impacts the outcomes of your life. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, another one, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the strength of the gospel. So God is saying it's called the incarnation. It's God in flesh. God of the universe comes down and lives like us. He lives and walks along the earth just like we do. He experiences the same things we experience, but he shows us a better way how to live life. It's the incarnation. So Paul is saying, the same way Jesus said, come and follow me, I'll teach you my ways. Paul is saying, I'm following Christ. I'm confident if you follow my ways, you'll also know more of Christ. It's a mature person saying, follow my example. So let's go back to Romans 12. This is the the verse we've been using for the whole series. Um, Romans 12, 2, this is the NIV. says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern in our world. You have a pattern in your finances, in your marriage. He's saying, don't just go with it. You have to have a pattern disruption. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. God has a good will for you. So right before this, he makes a statement about how we should live and act. So the first 11 chapters of Romans is the information. It's the theology. It's the, what he wants you to know about God and the world. And when we don't do God's way, the results we get, the downward cycle I talked about a couple weeks ago. So when we don't follow God, we get, we get negative results. Now Paul shifts in, in chapter 12 and he says, here's the application. Here's the, the what. Now here's the how. Here's the why. And he begins to show us what exactly we should be doing. And this is what he says in the beginning. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 1. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So he starts off by saying, I gave you this information. Now really what God wants you to do is not just know things. He wants you to do something with it. So turn over even your bodies, your desires, every part of your life over to God. And when you do this, you're saying no to something you want to say yes to something God has for you. You're actually... It's, it's a good worship. It's, it's what God wants. And then he goes on and says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The new person comes by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing 
and perfect. And he goes on and says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So he says, become a mature person in your thinking, become a mature person in your actions. Learn to become the person that God wants you to become. Why? So you can produce other people that are healthy, other people that are mature, so that we produce a good, a good cycle, not a negative cycle. So instead of having a downward spiral, we have an upward spiral that we're, we're helping people to grow and become better because we're showing them how to live, how to be a healthy family, how to be a healthy community, have a healthy marriage, how to have healthy finances. He says, do, do this, do this, do this, do this. Here's the things you need to do. He says, but it starts in your thinking. It starts in your mind. Win the battle in your mind. It'll begin to translate into the other parts of your life. So today, you and I, we are all just one decision away from better. We're all just one decision away from stupid. So in your life, you make a lot of decisions every single day. Every single day, you're going to make decisions. Some, they don't have a lot of impact, right? So you wake up and you say, huh, tooth, I'm going to brush my teeth. Should I use fluoride? No fluoride? Baking soda? Peroxide? Like, what's the choice here, right? That choice is not going to make a massive difference. It could in your, your, your dental health, right? Your dental hygiene. That's one small choice that might impact. Then there's other big choices, like how much credit are we going to take on? And how is that going to impact the future? And these decisions over and over. Well, God says in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come so they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that they may have the best life they could possibly dream of. That was God's intention. So God says, I've come that they may have life. The enemy, he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. So every decision, every single day, God, he has a vote in your life that says life, life abundantly, life to the full. The enemy has a vote in your life who says death, destruction, killing, and stealing. And they both get a vote. So God is saying, make good choices. You're one decision away from better. The enemy says, you're one decision away from stupid. Let's choose the stupid. So one vote from God, one vote from the enemy. Guess who else gets a vote? You and I. I get to vote in my life and which decision. And you know who has the deciding vote? I do. You do. Every decision that you're faced with, Am I going to vote with God? And if I vote with God, I give him power in my life to move in my life and to have more impact. Or I'm going to vote with the enemy. I mean, am I going to choose stupid? Am I going to throw things away? Am I going to choose destruction? And here's the thing. You don't know you're choosing destruction with him because he didn't say that. He says, hey, look at this wonderful thing that looks so good and tastes so good. It's the person that becomes addicted to something, right? Because it's not the, it's not the end results he's showing you. He's showing you the immediate gratification of how good you're going to feel oh, but by the way, I didn't tell you this. It's going to be really horrible after. And people make that decision thinking it's wrapped up in something nice, but they don't realize that he's actually pulling them in. So do you have God more power in your life to move or do you give the enemy power to dominate? This is the whole point of the first story, one of the first stories in the, in the, in the Genesis, in the, in the Bible, is the enemy comes in and tempts Adam and Eve to sin, not just so that he breaks relationship with God, but so that he can take their place that God gave them as, as people that dominated the earth. He wants to move in and take control and dominate us. God wants us to have freedom. So the word dominion, freedom comes from the word dominion, right? The freedom to dominate, that's what freedom is. It's the freedom to dominate, make choices in our life that will come, have good outcomes. And when the enemy, when we sin, we actually give him the ability to come and dominate in our lives. We no longer have the freedom. Now we're a slave to sin, the Bible says. We're a slave to the things that we choose, the outcomes and the consequences of the things follow. But the enemy doesn't show us the big story. He always shows us the media. Hey, this is going to be fun for the moment. And sin is fun for just a moment. For just a moment. 
But when it grows up, it always turns into something that's horrible. Where God is saying, it's the opposite. What I'm asking you to do, actually, is gonna, it's going to be a little hard. You have to say no to something that you really want to say yes to. You have to trust me. It's like planting a seed and letting that seed die. And then that seed begins to sprout and grow. And it produces something amazing. If you stick with it, you'll see great results in your life. So every single day, God gets a vote. The enemy gets a vote. You get a vote. Every decision. Which way are you going to decide to vote with? With God or with the enemy? Mal Robbins, she's the author of the five-second rule that I talked about that one week. And she says this statement in her book. She says, one moment of courage can change your day. One day can change your life. And your life can change the world. One moment of courage. She says, five, four, three, two, one, just do the right thing. Do the thing that's hard. Do the thing that you've been putting off. Just go for it. Because that one moment of courage, it actually could change your whole day. It could change your relationship. It could change your finances. And I think this is what, what in Scripture God is trying to tell us to do is choose his ways. His ways are higher than ours. We don't always understand, but we choose them. He works things out in amazing ways if we'll just trust him in our life. So I read a story about um, uh, Warren Buffett. He's one of the most successful investor, investors of all time. Uh, with, with finances. And somebody asked him, it was a leadership question, and they said, um, uh, Mr. Buffett, how do you teach your team members to make wise choices when it comes to finances? Like, you got this all down, but how do you teach your team so they don't make dumb decisions? He says, I have one rule. It's a leadership rule. He calls it the newspaper test. He says this, when I sit with my teams and I'm training them, he says, whenever you're faced with a decision, and it's kind of maybe a little iffy, maybe a little like you're not really sure, he says, just ask yourself this. This decision I'm about to make, if it was in the front page of the newspaper tomorrow, and my friends and my coworkers and my family and my kids were going to read it, would I be proud of this decision? And if not, don't make the decision. But if you can live with it, if you can explain why you did it, whether it was hard or difficult, whatever, then make the decision and live with it. That's the one test I give them. When it comes to making wise choices is if they'll be proud of it, make it. If they will not be proud of it, don't choose it. So if you're one decision away from stupid – and everybody's going to read your stupid in the newspaper the next day, would it be worth doing? I guess I'll bet every one of us say, no, it wouldn't be worth doing. So then don't do it. But you don't understand. I feel like it. That's why you don't let feelings lead. But you don't understand. I really want it. That's why you don't let your feelings and your emotions lead. You let the choices that you really, the outcomes you want to have happen become the, the decision makers in your life. You take captive the thought and say, mm, I don't know if I should do this. A mature person has a little more um, ability to pause from, the, from just acting on something they want to act on and ask the question, all right, let's zoom out. In the bigger scope of things, is this new dress worth it, right? Because it's going to put me in debt, right? Is this new car worth it? Because it's going to be a long time to pay off. Is this new thing worth it? Is this affair worth it? Is this hit really worth it? Is this thing to take off the edge really going to – be what I want the story to be. And if it's not, then we learn to say, I'm going to take captive of that thought, and I'm going to make it obedient to Christ, say, God, what do you want to do in this? What are those lies the enemy has been telling us? So in some cases, there are some traumatic things that have happened to people, right, from the past that you have to deal with. And, it, and it, it's, it's something you, if you don't deal with it, it'll be the thing that limits you and keeps you back from living the life God wants you to live, to move forward. Dr. Karen Leaf, the neuroscientist, she says, you actually need to do three cycles of 21 days to be able to replace the old thoughts was something new. So every, every day, she has this, this process that you work on your thoughts. It's, 
It's, it's the same idea that Paul is talking about in Romans 12 or renewing your mind. You're, 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 they call it re- reconceptualizing is the word they use in neuroscience. Is you get that, that concept, that thought, that idea, and you have to reinvent it. You have to change it into a better thought. And if you do this over a course of time, the old thought, the things that you used to think, all the things that used to take place, will actually begin to get weaker, and a new thought that you replace it with will begin to get stronger. So when Paul says, renew your mind, what he's saying is get God's word, God's truth, let that become the main thing you focus on, not the toxic, unhealthy thoughts that you've been holding on to for a long time. To renew your mind. And here's the thing. All of us have to do this on a daily basis because if we don't, toxic thoughts, they, they creep in, and we let them, we think about them so often, they grow and they grow and they grow. So this whole series, what we're saying is here's some tools. Here's some tools to anchor your thoughts in something better in the future. Right? Here's, here's your tools, some tools to reframe what's going on in your life. Here's some tools, the five-second rule. Here's some tools, gratitude. Why? Because we're saying if you want to get healthy mentally, you have to begin to do something with what you know, not just know more of it. Do something. Practice it. So my, my challenge for today is this. Would you renew your mind daily? Would you get a habit of this? Which means every single day, you've got to say, God, what is your truth? Easiest way is the Bible. One of the easiest ways I find is on your phone, um, there's, a, there's a Bible app called YouVersion. Every single day it gives you a new verse, right? So the new verse would have an idea, a truth that you can actually think about. Get in the habit of reading the Bible. If you have a community of people you can read with, it's always better. So the YouVersion app is pretty cool because you can start a reading plan. And you can invite your friends to read with you. And then there's a place to comment and kind of discuss what you've read. Just a great way. Um, maybe some in your, in, your, in your workplace you can read together. Some kind of system that says, I need a truth for today that's God's truth, not just CNN. Or a new truth for today that's not Fox. That's not the White House, right? Because we tend to focus so much on the White House that we forget about our house. And God is saying, start with your house. Don't just always be focused on the White House. Learn to be able to say, God, you work in my life. So what is that thought God wants to do? Renew it. And it always starts small. It's always one thing at a time. God says, just be obedient in this thing. And then it'll lead you to the next thing. And I'll lead you to the next thing. And before you know it, you'll be climbing up the mountain I have for you. It'll be a beautiful view. It'll be amazing. The view from the top is awesome. But it always takes work to get there. But just start small. Start somewhere. So renew your mind. So this week, if you, you don't have a habit of reading the Bible, I would say start a new habit. Get, get a, a reading plan. Invite somebody to, to, to read with you. And it can be as simple as one verse a day. Here's, here's the, the, most, the easiest way to apply what you, what you do with what you're reading. All right? So um, it's called SOAP. It's pretty, pretty easy to remember. S-O-A-P. All right? You get a scripture, one verse. You ask the question, the observation, the O. What, what is this verse saying? And then you ask the question, how do I apply this? So scripture, observation, application. And then you pray, pray what you just read. Pray what you just observed. Pray what you just realized was the application. So you read the verse, right? So Paul is telling us in Romans, uh, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. So I would say, God, what is it you need to renew my mind today? What is, what is it here? Well, you have to replace the truths. With the, the, replace the lies with the truth I have for you. What is that truth? You read the truth. You begin to believe it. You pray and say, God, I believe your word more than I believe my lies that I've been telling myself for so long or the lies the enemy's been telling me or the things that culture is saying all the time. I trust your word over those things. And we begin to say, I choose you over the emotions. I choose you over the anxiety. I choose you over the things that I'm facing. And if you do this on a daily basis, what will happen is you'll begin to renew your mind from the old way of thinking into the new way of thinking. In fact, Paul tells us that when you give your life to God, when you give your life to Christ, 
He says those in Christ are a new creation. So the starting point is in Christ, in his family, in relationship with him. The ending point, really the goal for all of us, is that we start in Christ, but then there's so much of Christ in us that we begin to look like him. We begin to talk like him. We begin to act like him and think like him. And we get to a place that we tell others around us, hey, if you want to know how to be healthy, follow my example. Because I'm following Christ's example. But the starting point is in Christ. So I don't know if you notice this. When I, when I talk about being a, a, a Christian, I don't say Christian a lot. I actually say Jesus follower. Because Christian in our culture can mean a lot of different things. But Jesus follower is very easy to understand. If you're a Jesus follower, you're either following him or you're not. So Christian means Christ-like. It's the same idea, but Jesus, Jesus invites us to follow his lead. So here's the thing about following his lead is it takes this, this idea of what the Bible says repentance. So repentance is always about direction. So if you're making choices in your life that are leading you in an unhealthy way, it's the, I'm one decision away from stupid, right? I made another stupid decision. I made another selfish decision. I made another immediate gratification decision. And you find yourself on this path that's leading you away from God, leading you away from really the things you want long term. The Bible says you have to have a you have to have a change of direction, repentance. You have to repent. So it's a change of mindset, it's a change of heart that you realize I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to now choose to go God's way. So Jesus' follower says, I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to go Jesus' way. I'm going to follow His lead. So today, as I, I'm going to end with prayer, and I'm going to pray a prayer over us for the for the message of the series. But after I pray that, I'm going to give an opportunity for those in the room or those online that are watching. If you can, would say with, with confidence and maybe some courage, of, I'm going the wrong way. And I want to go God's way because his way is better. His way does have more for me. And instead of doing my thing, I'm going to say yes and do God's thing. So do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service? God, I thank you for those in, uh, that are watching today, those that are in, in the building. God, we, we understand that in, in the, the year that we just came out of, there's a lot of challenges that come with it, Lord God, relationally, financially, emotionally, mentally. God, I pray for those that are watching, those that are here that maybe are struggling with that, they're that 42%, that have more anxiety, have some, some maybe some depression kicking in. God, I pray that they would not be alone, they would not feel like they're the only one. God, they would reach out for help. God, they would find the right tools to be able to move forward, to, to get healthy mentally, so they can get healthy in all the other areas of our life. So God, I pray there, Lord, I pray that the eyes of the enemy would fall away. The things that he is telling us all the time, Lord, they would not become more important to us than your word, more important to us than your truth. God, it's your truth that sets us free, so help us to find and discover and know more of your truth. Help us to get into your word on a daily basis, God, even if it's just a verse, a chapter, God, that we will learn to make this a habit of replacing our old thoughts with new thoughts. And we thank you that those in you are those who, who start the journey in you are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. So let that happen today. Work in our lives, God. We open ourselves up to you and say, help us to make wiser, better choices. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you keep your, uh, your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment? If you're in this room or you're watching online and today is the day that you would choose better, today's the day that you would choose what God has for you, and you'd want that, would you let me know you're in the room by just lifting your hand? I'm not going to call you to the front, but just right there in your seat. I want to pray a prayer with you. Awesome. Let's see a few hands. Anybody else? I want to change the direction. I want to turn my life over to God. Great. Would you raise your hand? Would you pray this prayer with me? And 
If you're just following the room, would you pray with us so that those who raise their hand are not praying alone? And if you're online, you're watching, you want to pray with us, would you just say this prayer? Say this, say, Father God, today, I thank you for sending Jesus to give us an example of how to live. I choose to follow him today. Thank you for letting him die on that cross so I can have a way to you. I believe he's alive today. I put my faith, I put my trust in you. Confess you as Lord of my life. Come into my life. Forgive me my past. Forgive me my sin. I turn away from those things. I say yes to following you. Give me a new start. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that prayed the prayer in the house and online.